The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. This ain't no disco. It ain't no country club either. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and yes, we're still coming from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to give us a call, toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email is exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com, and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Jonathan Gray, and he is, in fact, a true-to-life international explorer. He's also an archaeologist and author, has led or accompanied 25 expeditions comprising teams of international researchers. He has published more than 100 books and videos, written several hundred papers, and hosted newspaper columns. With a careful eye for evidence, his documentation often includes certificates, private letters, and facts which most investigators refuse to publish. Jonathan is highly sought after as a speaker, appearing on numerous television and radio shows and before live audiences worldwide. As a frontline field archaeologist, he has over the past 44 years penetrated some largely unexplored areas, including parts of the Amazon headwaters. He has also led expeditions to the bottom of the sea and to remote mountain and desert uh, regions of the world. His findings include evidence of the ancient Egyptians in the Americas, giant human remains of skeletal remains scattered over the seabed. As a distant, um, uh, as a distant from the general archaeologist who specializes in a particular locality or theme of interest, Jonathan Gray's research is into global patterns. This unique approach has propelled him to the forefront as an authority on little-known discoveries that shake, and I mean really shake, traditional theories of our past. Joining me now from his home in New Zealand is Jonathan Gray. And Jonathan, great having you back with us here in the X-Zone. 
Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you today. My goodness, uh, since you and I last talked, going back to February of 2009, what have you been up to? Oh, well, um, we've been uh, pursuing much of the same, really. Uh, no new projects, but mm-hmm. really uh, receiving information and, and checking it on uh, the discoveries we've been making. There are a lot of confirmations been coming out, Rob, and uh, that, of course, is good because uh, you like to know that your work is solid. Um, as I was reading uh, your, your intro, giant skeletons, are we talking humanoid skeletons? Oh, yes, we certainly are. Um, and uh, skeletons which are much larger than we might uh, assume sometimes. Wow. I mean, we hear of uh, eight or nine foot people, but um, a lot of the skeletons now that are coming to light are 12 feet, 15 feet, so on. Is it possible that these skeletal remains are the actual evidence of the biblical claims of the Nephilim or those who came from the skies who were giants? Well, we do know that, yes, I, I do believe that it, it confirms the biblical mm-hmm. evidence of, of past uh, large life forms on that planet. Uh, everything has has shrunk uh, historically. Right. Um, there was a time when everything was larger. Trees were longer. I mean, they're finding the remains of trees 1,000 feet long in, down in coal fields. Uh, My here gosh. And, there. Uh, and, and animals, uh, animals, insects, birds, uh, and humans were all much larger in the past because the the um, the environment of the earth uh, made that possible. Jonathan, stand by, good sir. You and I have to take our first commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Exo Nation, our very special guest of this hour, is Jonathan Gray. We're talking to Jonathan, who is an international explorer, and as you just heard, giant skeletons have been found. We tie this into biblical times. Things were bigger, according to Jonathan Gray. What other mysteries lie ahead for us to discover this hour in the X-Zone? With yours truly, Rob McConnell, and my special guest, Jonathan Gray. His website, www.beforeus.com. That's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S dot com. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break. Don't go away. And welcome back, everyone. Jonathan Gray is our special guest, www.beforeus.com, and that's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S.com. And uh, during the commercial break, I asked Jonathan why things were getting smaller, and uh, Craig, the producer, says, no, 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 let's talk about this on air, Rob. Let's not. He said, I want to hear this, and so do the listeners. So, Jonathan, tell me, why are things getting smaller instead of larger? Well, uh, there was a break which occurred in history at the time of the Great Flood. And, mm-hmm. the, and the flood, of course, was not just a gentle rising of water. It was a cosmic overturn and, and disaster which changed everything upon Earth uh, ecologically. Uh, before this, uh, the Earth had a, a canopy, of a water canopy above the atmosphere, 
which firstly uh, shielded out uh, cosmic rays which shorten life, mm-hmm. uh, and secondly helped to provide a, a denser atmosphere, uh, oxygen atmosphere on our planet, uh, which does contribute, of course, to, to good health and, and, and life and, and rapid healing. Now, not only that, but uh, the, the terrarium um, atmosphere underneath the canopy, mm-hmm. being like, like a terrarium today, uh, promoted um, the conditions of less stress, uh, that the, the earth itself had not been uh, sifted out with, with a flood of water, which uh, deposited all the nutrients in the oceans. Uh, the, the earth itself was very fertile, um, it, the climate was pretty even from pole to pole, mm-hmm. slightly slightly warmer near the, near the equator, but not extremely so, and, and the, the north and south uh, polar regions were not covered in ice. Now, there, there were no floods, hurricanes, and, and great... The, the atmosphere, uh, the air currents were pretty even, and you would not get such things as hurricanes and, and floods and droughts and so on. Um, in fact... Mankind was in his earlier stages very, very highly um, uh, energized, and uh, all of these things changed at the time of the flood, uh, and the the change in both size and in uh, in length of of time of living mm-hmm. both deteriorated subsequently, and this has been documented not just in the Bible but in, in the records of ancient nations. In fact, the Chinese emperor, after the flood, uh, two or three hundred years later, uh, when China was in its infancy, uh, asked, let's investigate why it is that our, our human lifespan has suddenly deteriorated in the last generation or two. And this is recorded among other nations as well. Now, uh, the same went for size. Uh, we have the, the remains, I think I mentioned uh, earlier, of, in the coal fields of trees up to a thousand feet long. Uh, we have... Um, the remains of uh, kangaroos, Australian kangaroos, as as big as uh, giraffes, Holy almost. Holy cow! Uh, we we have uh, sheep as big as horses. I mean, everything has gone down uh, in size, and this is not a theory. This is simply a fact because we see it in the fossil remains that are, have been buried at the time of the flood. Is that why, according to the Bible, people used to live so long? Yes, they would live longer as well. Uh, first of all, the, the, the initial vitality was there and had not been had not deteriorated, and uh, and healing. If, if you got sick at all, you'd soon be well in a matter of hours, not days or weeks, because the the oxygenation mm-hmm. um, was so much greater. There was there was double the oxygen pressure, and this, of course, would contribute to size, greater size and 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 greater health as well. So when we look at global warming and the depletion of the oxygen in our atmosphere because we're cutting down all the vital forestation that provides the Earth with the oxygen, we're looking at self-destruction. Oh, yes, most certainly. An interesting experiment was made, uh, Rob, uh, a few years ago, in 1985, actually, at the Japan Expo. Mm -hmm. A tomato plant... Uh, was given the uh, the atmospheric conditions that were pre-flood, right. uh, where the, there was no uh, no uh, natural rays coming out from outer space, mm-hmm. and and where the nutrients in the soil were much the same as what we would expect them to be before the flood, and and various other factors were put together, and a tomato plant was grown. Tomato plant actually 
didn't die. It would not die. It just kept on living. And uh, it produced five thousand, no, I'm sorry, 13, eventually 13,000 ripe tomatoes during the My. six months of the Japan Expo. My good heavens. You know, if we were to be able to use that technology that, that we have because it was proven during the Japanese Expo into our into our fruit crops right now, we could, in my opinion, and please correct me if I'm wrong, get rid of the world hunger crisis. I believe you're right. And do you know how, how tall that tomato plant was? 30 yes. feet tall. My good God. It sounds like a kelp, uh, kelp field in the, uh, in the Pacific Ocean. It's absolutely amazing. Now, that can be done today uh, under controlled conditions, so why don't we try it? That's an excellent idea because, you know, when you, when you read the newspapers, watch television, listen to the news, you hear about the people, God bless them, around this world of ours who are starving to death. And if we can get one plant to do, what, 13,000 tomatoes? My Lord, imagine... 13,000, yes. Imagine what we could do with... With the uh, with the uh, with the cereals, with the other crops, like we could actually say goodbye to st- uh, starvation. Absolutely. Now, uh, uh, if somebody would like a source on that, Dr. Kai Mori, uh, that's M O R E. Kai Kai was a K E I. Dr. Kai Mori was the scientist, the Japanese physicist involved in the experiment, and that can be looked up. I think perhaps on the internet. As, a, as an archaeologist and an international explorer, have you ever pondered the or investigated or looked into the claims of the lost continent of Atlantis? And if so, what have you been what is your conclusion? Oh, that's an interesting one, certainly, Rob. Well, um, wherever no, I always I always take it as a an axiom that uh, if we're looking for evidence, then mm-hmm. we go to old legends, right? And uh, we follow them through, and there's always it appears to be a core of truth somewhere upon which the legend has been built. Now, the Atlantis, of course, it was a land that sank under the sea, uh, and it was highly civilized, mm-hmm. tremendous technology, and that, that's the core of the, of the legend. Uh, a, lot, a lot of details are given, and a lot of uh, window dressing has been added to it over the years, but if we look at the core of it, Certainly, a, a great civil. It can be one of two things. It can be either pre-flood or post-flood, and I'm open-minded on this. I, I tend to think it was post-flood, but okay. uh, the, the world before the uh, the great flood was inundated with water and went down and has not recovered, and a new world had to start. Um, if we take it as a post-flood, there is evidence uh, that land has risen and sunk. Um, very dramatically in a, in a matter of days or hours um, right through history. Mm-hmm. And if we uh, we look at, for example, a um, and, and this could have happened, and Atlantis could have been a real spot, uh, a localised location rather than a whole world before the flood. And um, there are hundreds of drowned cities that have been discovered um, in the oceans, um, most of them close to the coastlines of the Earth. Let me give you a specific example of one that came up out of the sea, or from from sea level to 12,000 feet in probably a matter of just a day or two. Wow. If we go down to Bolivia, uh, near Lake Titicaca, mm-hmm. uh, which is the highest navigable lake in the world, uh, there are the remains further south, about 12 miles south, of Tiwanaku. This was a huge city. 
Uh, and uh, its uh, type of construction and many of the things we find there are similar to ancient Egypt, so I, I would say this was post-flood for sure. But there's a seaport uh, attached to it, and great docks for ships, ocean-going ships, um, uh, are still there to be seen, not facing the lake, so it was not a, not a lake that, that diminished in size away from the city, but facing the other way. And behind the city, there is a, a range of mountains um, with seashells on them, the sands, like mm-hmm. beach sands, seashells and seaweed, totally preserved from the time when uh, this was all at sea level. And the city, no doubt, was destroyed with the upthrust, sudden upthrust of an earthquake or something that lifted the whole Andes region at that time. Unbelievable. And we've had similar things happening, you know, in the tsunami that took place um, in, where was it, in Indonesia, um, just in recent years. Yes. Uh, the seabed rose from 4,000 feet in depth to just under 100 feet in depth, and soundings were made by both American and British ships. You know, it seems that this world of ours, whether we know it or not, is changing all the time. Yes, and it doesn't take millions of years, and that can happen dramatically. Tell me, Jonathan, in your expert opinion, how wrong is the history that is being taught in schools? It's, it, the history being taught in schools is mostly wrong, uh, except for events in, mm-hmm. in the last few hundred years. Right. You know, one of my biggest bones of contention is that my granddaughter was being taught by her fifth grade teacher that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas. So she brought oh, her. Most, a lot of people still believe that because they were taught it in school. Right, but we know for a fact that the Vikings were over in America. We know for a fact that the Irish monks were over in America. Mind you, I think that they were just looking for a pub with good uh, pricing. Uh, but, you know, and, and yet here we are, the year 2011, and the truth is still not being taught. And we have people like yourself and your colleagues who are constantly out in the field discovering the truth, and yet the truth doesn't filter down to the schools. No, it's not. And, and there are scientists who are expressing dissatisfaction at the situation. They say mm-hmm. that there's an elite who are suppressing information deliberately from the pupils, and the, the work of, of reputable scientists is not getting through to the classroom. You and I have to take our news break for the bottom of the hour, Jonathan. Always great talking to you. Exo Nation, our special guest this hour, all the way from his home in New Zealand, where, do you know what, today or, today or tomorrow is the first day of spring over there, so they're looking forward towards that, and it's morning time in New Zealand. So good morning to all our friends in New Zealand and Australia and the Pacific Rim. This is the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, that is on the shores of Lake Ontario, in between Toronto and Niagara Falls. For more information on Jonathan Gray, his website, www.beforeus.com. That's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S dot com. Jonathan and I will be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. x 
Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Wish I could carry your smile in my heart now, This is Doug, Dr. Doug Rocky in Rantoul, Illinois in the United States. I think with the 911, everything needs to understand exactly what happened here, and uh, you have to pull up the references for yourself and look at it. Uh, 911 was basically uh, a plan to allow us to implement all the invasion plans we had for Iraq and Afghanistan that we put together under the Clinton administration back in the 1990s. The Operation Iraqi Freedom, again, you can go and pull up the actual 911 commission report. And if you go to page 336, you'll see Bill General Frank, sir, my old buddy, uh, said all we did was take out the plans, implement it, and go on in the invasion. For uh, Operation and going into uh, Afghanistan, that came from a February 12, 1998 congressional discussion turned into a military directive that uh, told us to overthrow the Taliban because of the pipeline deals with Unicall. Now, the easiest thing to look at this when you understand what happened on that day, talk to the individuals involved, and I had the responsibility for training New York Police and Fire Department emergency service personnel before the event on counterterrorism, weapons of mass destruction, explosives. When we talk to Willie Rodriguez and you go to his website, you find out that uh, there were explosions in sub-basement 3 and 4 before the aircraft hit, and then uh, they were already loading casualties on when the first aircraft hit, and there were no expl- no, and there were explosions that brought down the building. There were no fire in the stairwell. No Do you believe in love at love? I can feel something inside me say And welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. Jonathan Gray is our special guest. He is an international explorer. His website is www.beforeus.com. That's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S.com. And if you'd like to listen to the entire segment or the entire clip with uh, Dr. Doug Rocky, it's on his website, www.dougrocky.com. That's D-O-U-G-R-O-K-K-E.com. Jonathan, before you and I went to the news break, we were talking about how schools today still teach that it was Christopher Columbus who discovered the Americas. And you were telling me during the commercial break and the news that the Chinese were actually over here way before that. Oh, that's an interesting one, yes. Uh, There's a a book, an ancient history book, uh, one of the oldest in China, called The Fourth Book of Shanghai Ching. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's entitled The Classic of Eastern Mountains. Now, just before 2000 BC, uh, it, there are four sections in this old book recording um, the, the visit of a survey party which went to North America. And uh, they call the Pacific Ocean the Eastern Sea, and that they went to the other side of the Eastern Sea. 
Now, each section begins by describing the geographical features of a particular mountain. Uh, its height, its shape, the mineral deposits they found, uh, surrounding rivers, types of flora, and so on. And then it points the direction and the distance to the next mountain, and so on. Right. It's like a road map of North America. And by following the clues, it's been discovered that these sections describe in detail the total topography of the western and central North America. And each mountain can be identified in each river. Now, this was a geographical survey, a systematic survey. But, Rob, that's not all. It even gives the experiences of the surveyors, from uh, picking up black opals and gold nuggets in Nevada, to watching seals frolic on the rocks in San Francisco Bay. And they recorded their fascination at a strange animal that avoided danger by pretending to be dead. Obviously, the native opossum. Yes. And you can read about their wonder at the Grand Canyon, which they described as a stream flowing in a bottomless ravine. And they described the sunrise there. That's in the 9th and the 14th books. Now, by the 3rd century BC, uh, when many Chinese records were re-evaluated and condensed, mm-hmm. it was found that the geographical learning that this old book contained no longer corresponded to any lands that they knew in China at the time. So it was reclassified as a myth. But now we know better. It was when uh, Richard Nixon's uh, group went across to China and they started exchanging uh, cultural information, East and West, that this book came to light. And it's the oldest survey of North America. I remember from the last time you were with us that also the ancient Egyptians and Phoenicians were in North America as well. They they really did, yes. And in the Grand Canyon, um, there there was an explorer who belonging to the Smithsonian Institute yeah. went down there and, and discovered the caves uh, with, with all the Egyptian artifacts in it. You know, I, I remember reading history books when I was young that were talking about uh, the the people from the other side of the ocean, the east. Now I'm talking about from North America to the east, which would be, uh, you know, Egypt and, and the Phoenicians and so on, that would come over here and trade with the Indians for copper. Yes, that's right. And yeah. there were copper mines. Yep. So why aren't the kids taught this in school? Why does this information have to be suppressed? Well, unfortunately, uh, a theory has been popularized uh, which uh, is at the root of all this. Uh, we, I call it the Big E, or the evolution theory, as we know it. Uh, the evolution theory uh, cannot allow for man in the past being so clever. We have to be taught that man was from a beast or some kind of animal in the past, evolving. His intelligence came gradually, and first he was hunting and dragging his women around by the hair and and into caves and so on. And then later on he began to plant, and later on he discovered fire. Later on he began to live together and form cities, and later on came technology and intelligence. So that's the evolution theory, and it's quite opposite from what now we're finding in the archaeological um, research. As as an explorer and as an archaeologist, what is is your opinion of Darwin's theory? Was Darwin correct? If Darwin had lived, was alive today, he would not have publicised his theory because when he publicised that theory, 
the science of of uh, the various sciences that we know today were, were not refined. In fact, uh, the science of uh, DNA and and uh, genetics was was unknown. Mm-hmm. Also, biology was in its infancy. Uh, archaeology, of course, uh, didn't exist virtually. It was still uh, b- beginning. Uh, if Darwin was alive today, he would repudiate uh, much of what he wrote. In fact, he did say that um, there was not evidence from fossils yet to to show that his theory was correct and that he was expecting the discovery of fossils to eventually confirm his theory. But if it could be shown from the fossils that uh, there had not been an improvement in species over time, mm-hmm. uh, then his theory would not stand up. He was honest enough to say that. Wow. So how, how do you believe, based on your being an archaeologist as well as, as an international explorer, and I'm sure you've talked to your colleagues about this many times, how did we evolve? Was there such a thing as extraterrestrial intervention, or were are, or are humans a product of this planet? They are the product of this planet. I have not the slightest doubt about that. Um, in fact, everything that we point to extraterrestrials for can be explained by things here on Earth without having to go off this planet. Why do you think, sir? that people look to the skies for the answers instead of looking to the ground and what's already been accomplished by people of this planet and what you, the members of the scientific community and archaeologists, are finding and are saying this is what happened. It has nothing to do with E.T. going home or even coming here. Yes, well, that's a big subject, uh, Robin, and there's quite a number of reasons. Um, I, I do know that um, ET uh, promoters uh, often look, go to ancient documents and they say, well, these people saw, saw people coming out of the sky and they yep. looked upon them as gods, etc. But that's happened in our day. Yes. Uh, it, in Papua New Guinea during World War II, the, the, the American planes, the Japanese planes were coming over and, and Americans established bases and the natives looked upon and, and they gave them gifts, which mm-hmm. are things they'd never seen before. And, and primitive natives looked at people who were living in a primitive style. I mean, they, they weren't primitive in their intelligence, but they were superstitious because they didn't know the outside world. They, they began to look upon these visitors as gods who had come from the skies. I think you'll appreciate this uh, scenario that I often talk about here on the show, is that what would happen if the Bible, or if all the events that happened in the Bible that are written about were to happen today, with our knowledge of science, chemistry, biology, physics, astronomy, how would the Bible have been written? Or would it have been written at all? Well, uh, having studied that question quite deeply, because honestly, it's a good question and it does come up frequently, uh, I do believe that uh, the Bible is... I believe there's good evidence, structural evidence, that the Bible is not man's ideas about God, but it actually was a revelation from our Creator. So that may put a cat among the pigeons, but I do believe that uh, the Bible is a very accurate history of our past, but shows God's dealings with mankind. All right, if God wasn't an extraterrestrial, who was he? Uh, he's outside time and outside space, so he's not a, he's not subservient to space right. as extraterrestrials would be, or to time. But if we look upon creation as being the the result of his action right. in the universe, he is outside and above time and space. 
Okay. Now, how would we, or how would you as a member of the scientific community, as an archaeologist, how would you explain his existence if there are no artifacts to his actual being? Well, if we if we see a, a, a computer mm-hmm. uh, and, and we try to explain that this computer formed itself over millions of years, we know it couldn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And if we couldn't, if there was no computer yesterday, there wouldn't suddenly appear a computer today. And we say, well, time might make the difference. So therefore, it would take millions of years for a piece of something, a piece of goo to form into a solid computer. Um, you would is laughing out of town. I know you would. No, no one would accept that, that my reasoning was was sound. And yet no, we know because we know that it takes intelligence to make a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, when we look at the DNA in our bodies, where everything is programmed to work together, and 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 certain program uh, programs are obviously like a computer, we have to say the human body had to have been designed and created. It could not have appeared gradually, piece by piece, because so many interlocked, interdependent parts needed to appear at the same time together instantly. So would it be safe to say, using that hypothesis, that there are other planets in the universe that also sustain life? And if that is the case, why is it not possible that we have been visited by extraterrestrials? I do believe that there are other planets in the universe that sustain life. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact is that we are we are here. Uh, we've been created. I, I have no question right. about that. And a lot of scientists now are turning back to this point. Uh, Darwin diverted them, but now many are saying, "Well, we, we've been we've been wrongly led. Uh, let's get back to the the basics." Uh, the design and intelligence that we see in artifacts of living beings, men, animals, trees, and so on, indicates in an intelligent uh, personality behind all this. Okay. Wow. Now, um, what was, what's your question again? I was just leading up to it, and I forgot where we went to. I was saying that um, if... If we oh, were yes. designed, you yes. know, about other life and extraterrestrials visiting this planet... Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, the, the fact is that um, there, there must be extraterrestrials out there, of mm-hmm. course. But uh, the the reason for them to visit this planet, or rather, shall I, shall I say, the likelihood of them visiting this planet, uh, scientists have calculated the mathematical odds of this and, and said that it's very remote that suddenly uh, we would see all these thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of manifestations of extraterrestrials on this tiny little planet. Uh, there, if there are so many other planets out there, uh, why why should they visit this planet? So many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the odds of that being so uh, are so minuscule as to be almost remotely impossible. Well, you know what? That brings us to another question. What would happen if we are the oldest of the planets or the oldest of the people that God created and other planets where the, that are populated by other beings like ourselves are not to our present evolutionary state? So therefore they cannot travel to other planets yet. Well, we can raise all these hypothetical yeah. questions and, and I, my answer has to be that we... 
uh, we can only speculate. There is no, we, we can't go by evidence. And as an archaeologist, I really do like to go by evidence for everything that I promote. And as a broadcaster, I have to go by the clock on the wall. We've got to take our final <laughs> break. Please stand by, Jonathan. Great having you with us. Exonation Jonathan Gray is our special guest all the way from New Zealand. He's an international explorer, and his website is www.beforeus.com. I'm sorry, beforeus.com. That's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we do our wrap-up for tonight. Don't go away. Exonation, my guest this hour is Jonathan Gray, and uh, we've been talking about the real history. You know, like, this is the only show you'll ever learn that the Chinese were over here way before Columbus. We talked about the trade with Egypt and the Phoenicians with North America, the, the copper. We talked about giants. We talked about trees that have been found that are over a thousand feet in length. This is the true history. And once again, Jonathan, I thank you and the members of the, of the scientific community and the archaeological community who are trying their very best to get the truth known because I believe our history is rich and we can learn so much from history. So thank you for all the great work you do. Thank you, Rob. It's been my pleasure. One thing I'd like to talk about very quickly, we've got about uh, two and a half minutes, is that the last time you and I talked, and I, and I wrote down this note, about the suppression of some explosives that were discovered. Suppression? Yes, uh, you know, apparently there's been a suppression of some explosive discoveries. Oh, yes, yes, many of these. Uh, And I believe this is probably something that's happening every day, if not every week, somewhere in the world. Suppression of discovery. It's simply because uh, a certain group who are entrenched feel threatened by anything that's going to contradict their status. And and degrees are involved, uh, lifetime reputations, uh, and also uh, grants of money for research. Uh, If one scientist steps out of line... These are cut off from him. Uh, and that's a very sad thing. But there are many thousands of <clears throat> scientists today who are beginning to be, uh, to be, get a little bit braver and speak up. And so we know that this is not a conspiracy theory that there has been a suppression. Uh, scientists involved in the suppression, many of them are, are, are departing from it and beginning to speak openly and honestly. And that's good to see. One quick question for you. Was there flight in the past did man conquer flight in our in our ancient times or is flight something very new 
Flight is not new. Uh, the theory of flight was written in a number of ancient books, which we still have. Um, models of uh, flying aircraft uh, have been found in Egypt and in, mm -hmm. in Central America. Um, and and, and uh, copies of those have been made, which actually do fly, so they show wow. the knowledge of aerodynamics. Uh, and not just flights, but also visits to the moon have been recorded by the Chinese, who, uh, according to their own history, never wrote fiction. You have to come back, and we have to talk about the Chinese going to the moon. You've got my interest, my friend. Not to say you haven't had my interest all this time. You certainly have, but I think that our listeners would love to hear about flight in our ancient past. Thank you very much for joining us, Jonathan. A great pleasure talking to you again. And I truly look forward to the next time you visit us here in the X-Zone. Thank you, Rob. Take care, sir. X-Zone Nation, Jonathan Gray has been our very special guest this hour. His website, www.beforeus.com, and that's B-E-F-O-R-E-U-S.com. We'll have to have Jonathan back because imagine that Chinese on the moon way back when. Well, Exxon Nation, that brings us to the end of this hour, and what a great way to finish off the hour. More questions. That's what happens when you know what the truth is. You solve one mystery and ten more reveal themselves. But the truth must prevail. So until tomorrow night, Exxon Nation, take care of each other and always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone. One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. 